0: Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. On our journey through the book of Revelation, we've come to the time that the scriptures refer to as the Great Tribulation and the Day of the Lord. When will this time come upon the earth? Pastor Phil will teach on this subject today, so let's open our Bibles and join him in Revelation chapter 6.
1: So The Antichrist has to come onto the world scene uh, in the sense of taking power given he's given authority given power at one point i believe he's alive right now where is he we don't know who is he we don't know people speculate we don't know i believe he's alive right now and there's going to come a point when when jesus christ of course breaks the first seal he is going to rise the antichrist to a position of power and authority that the world is going to give him why do they give him this authority We don't know, we can only speculate. Maybe there's some kind of a limited nuclear exchange in the world and the earth is brought to the brink of nuclear destruction, coupled with the fact that millions of people have just disappeared all over the world, causing chaos and confusion, and the world is at a point where they're just screaming for somebody to take over and to bring some kind of of normalcy back to to the the planet earth. Perfect time for the Antichrist to be thrust into power. So when he comes, he's going to Make a covenant with Israel. That officially begins the last seven years. And I believe that officially begins the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will begin with the Antichrist signing this covenant with Israel. And it's going to last all the way through the Millennial Kingdom. And I'll talk about that more in a moment. It's just important you understand this. We talk about the day of the Lord, all right? This was a Jewish concept. See, the Jews believed that at one point Messiah was going to come, and He was going to judge the world because the world right now in this present age was—it's an evil age. It's an age of man's rebellion. It's an age where where sin and rebellion against God are rampant. They were looking for Messiah to come and to dispossess all, to judge all the wicked people, and then establish a kingdom of righteousness. But the Jewish mindset—it was a day of the Lord. The Jewish day begins at sundown. And it follows then into the next day. Which means it starts with darkness and then leads to light. The same is true with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is going to start with darkness in the sense of judgment, God's wrath being poured out against the world. It's going to be followed then by light. When Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, the millennial kingdom, a kingdom of light, and life right so the day of the Lord kind of parallels the Jewish day starts with darkness which is judgment and wrath and then it's going to lead to the light of the kingdom age where Jesus Christ is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years now we see this in several places in the Old Testament I'm just going to give you a couple examples all right uh, in Joel, the prophecy of Joel, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to me, is Joel is describing the day of the Lord, and he's talking about the darkening of the sun, the moon, the stars, and how that uh, that during this day of judgment, this, this day of the Lord judgment, uh, God is going to bring judgment on the armies of the nations that gather against Israel. You can read this in Joel 3, verses 9 through 16. But then Joel, from that point, begins to talk about A day of blessing then. I mean, he says, in that day. We're talking about the same period. In Joel 3, verses 17-21, he says, After the darkness and the judgment, there is going to come a period where God's blessings are going to flow to the entire world. So judgment followed by blessing. The prophet Zechariah, after he also laid out the future day of the Lord judgments, when all the nations will war against Jerusalem, and the Messiah will come to the earth to fight against those nations. You can read about that in Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 5. Then Zechariah said, that day will not be characterized totally by either darkness or light. Instead, he said, that one day, not that it's 24 hours, of course, but it's a an extended period called the Day of the Lord, that day, that one day, will be characterized by both darkness and light. The earlier part, he said, would be characterized by darkness, and the latter part would be characterized by light. So this Day of the Lord will start in darkness and in light. will start in judgment and in the return of Christ to establish His kingdom upon the earth. And I'll just read to you just a couple of verses in Zechariah, uh, chapter 14 verses 8 and 9 where Zechariah said in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea in both summer and winter it shall occur and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one So you understand that Zechariah, Joel, and others were saying to us that the day of the Lord starts with judgment and it's going to culminate with Christ's return to establish the millennial kingdom where God will have taken control of this world in the sense that Messiah will be reigning and righteousness will will cover the earth like the waters of the seas do now. Peter talks about this as well. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Because Peter says the same thing about the day of the Lord, that it will begin with darkness and judgment, which will then lead to the light of the Lord's reign during the Millennial Kingdom. Peter said, 2 Peter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away, With a great noise. Now understand, Peter is greatly condensing this, okay? He has just taken us from the beginning of the tribulation period all the way through to the end of the millennial kingdom, when the Lord is going to destroy heaven and earth, recreate them, right? So don't let it, he's really condensing it, all right, giving you a real big overview. But he says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That's when the world, people of this world say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. They're caught off guard. They think that they've got their Messiah. The Antichrist is their Messiah. And he's brought this time of peace to the earth. And the earth is basking in this new age, this golden age of humanity, where there's peace and prosperity and so on. But then suddenly, and without warning, God's judgment falls. And Peter says it's going to come as a thief in the night, and it's going to to proceed through through the tribulation period. Christ is going to come, establish his millennial kingdom, and then eventually, at the end of that thousand years, the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, and therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter said, look, this world is passing away. At one point, God's going to just destroy it completely and going to create the eternal state, what we consider heaven and place that will live forever. But Peter says, because this life is transitory and all the things in this world passing away, you know, we ought to really be investing our lives in the things of God. Living holy lives, godly lives, not being entangled with the cares of this life. Now, as I said last week, some people will say, no doubt, what about Acts chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, which really quote Joel, verse Uh, chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. Let me just read the one in Acts, because they're both the same. Peter is quoting Joel on the day of Pentecost. He's quoting the prophecy of Joel, where God said, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Well, again... I believe the day of the Lord technically begins with the breaking of the first seal, the Antichrist coming into power, making a covenant with Israel. And then it's going to be followed by the next four seals, which will be war, famine, pestilence, and death. This is going to lead us to the sixth seal eventually, which we've already read in Revelation 6, verses 12 through 14. Let me read them again. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake... The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Now it's true. In Acts 2 and Joel 2, God prophesied that cosmic disturbances would occur before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. See it there in Acts 2? These cosmic disturbances don't happen until the sixth seal is broken, which takes place sometime during the second half of the seven years. And yet, I'm claiming that the day of the Lord has already begun with the opening of the first seal, and it was confirmed by the testimony of the unbelievers in verse 17, who said, "For the for the great day of His wrath has come and." Who was able to stand? And in the Greek, as I've already pointed out, uh, it actually says, For the great day of His wrath has already come. Which means it already started with the first four seals. How do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile this? And I hope you're, you're staying with me. Think of it this way. The 70th week of Daniel, which is the last seven years, right? As we've already pointed out, starts with tribulation. Which Jesus in Matthew 24 called the beginning of sorrows or birth pangs the first three and a half years is then followed by the great tribulation or what some have called the pangs of hard labor you girls understand this birth pangs start off light and infrequent and as they get closer to the birth of the child they become more frequent more intense until the child is born same thing is going to happen with the birth of the kingdom it's going to start out with the tribulation period which starts with the beginning of birth pangs First three and a half years is going to progress into greater judgments called the great tribulation or the pangs of hard labor, which is going to then lead to the return of Christ and the birth of the kingdom age. This corresponds to the judgment part of the day of the Lord. Let me explain it. You've got the day of the Lord, right? The day of the Lord starts with the tribulation period and goes all the way through the millennial kingdom. The tribulation period part of the day of the Lord is the darkness part, the day of judgment, correct? The light portion is when Christ returns and set up his millennial kingdom. Just take the darkness portion of the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. It's seven years, and it corresponds to the tribulation period. The seven-year tribulation starts off with the tribulation, leads to the great tribulation. Then Christ comes. The day of the Lord judgments start off with the day of the Lord judgments in general, and it progresses then to what is called, what uh, Peter, reading uh, Joel's prophecy, calls the great and awesome day of the Lord. Right? You've got seven years of judgment. Tribulation followed by great tribulation. The day of the Lord, it's a a day of judgment followed by a great and terrible time of judgment. It's the same seven-year period. It's what we're talking about. It's what some commentators call the broad and the narrow aspects of the day of the Lord. The broad day of the Lord is tribulation all the way through millennial kingdom. The narrow day of the Lord, the awesome and terrible part of it, is you know that second half of the seven years, where you move from the, the day of the Lord into a terrible time of judgment associated with the day of the Lord. Now, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, God is speaking, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I believe Elijah the prophet will be one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. I think the other is Moses. And we'll talk more about that when we get there. I believe that Elijah, though, is going to be one of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. The ministry of the two witnesses takes place before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, as Malachi said in chapter 4, verse 5. Which means that the ministry of the two witnesses has to fall primarily within the first three and a half years. Because we know the great tribulation begins at the midpoint in Matthew 24. Jesus said, when the Antichrist sets up his image in the Holy of Holies, flee. Don't even go back into your houses to get anything from your house. Flee into the wilderness, for at that time there will arise great tribulation such as the world has never seen. And around that time, you're going to see God's judgment shift into high gear, and he's going to begin to then Bring the world into the great and terrible part of the day of the Lord judgments. So I believe that the ministry of the two witnesses has got to fall sometime, primarily within the first half of the three and a half years. We know that they uh, they prophesy for twelve hundred and sixty days, which is three and a half years. All right. We'll we'll study this more when we get to chapter eleven. But as we study their ministry, we get to chapter 11, we can see that they are clearly instruments of God's judgment upon this world during the first three and a half years, which means that first three and a half years is a part of the day of the Lord, even though they themselves minister before the great and dreadful day of the Lord begins, which happens during the second part of that seven-year period. Well, I hope I haven't confused all of you. But, you know, it's a subject that, oh, yeah, we heard this expression, you know, and it's, a, it's an eschatological phrase, which means a, an end times phrase that's thrown around quite a bit. And yet a lot of people don't really understand exactly what we're talking about. Uh, this seven-year period that we're studying in Revelation 6 through 19, this is the day of the Lord. That's why we have to know what it is if we're really going to understand what's going on, okay? All right, let's get into chapter 7. Where John said, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Now, between the sixth seal, which we saw in chapter 6, and the opening of the seventh seal, which happens at the beginning of chapter 8, there is a pause. Chapter 7 is kind of parenthetical. It's like a pause. We kind of need a pause to catch our breath a little bit. But that's not really why God put it here. He put it here because some things needed to take place first before the seventh seal was opened, which then signified the beginning of the seven trumpet judgments, which we'll look at next time. But notice that he tells the angels, four angels, standing on the four corners of the earth to hold back the wind. Now, people look at this and they jump on this and go, oh, well, here you go. The Bible is not... You know, you Christians, I mean, look at this, how ridiculous. We, we know the earth is round, the four corners of the earth. How can you believe in a book that makes such a stupid statement like that? Folks, let me say this to you. The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's not the first one in the cover, but it's the oldest book in the Bible. It was written sometime about 2500 B.C. And in the book of Job, here's what God said that he hung the sphere of the earth on nothing. God knows the world is round. He made it. (laughs) And God has told his prophets the world is round. They've recorded it. So what's this four corners of the earth stuff? It's not literal, it's figurative. Think of the four points of the compass. Just north, south, east, and west. And for that matter, I mean, several years ago, uh, the Marines had a slogan They said, our Marines are stationed on the four corners of the earth. Oh, they knew the earth was round. It was a figurative. All right? So this is not literal. But these angels are to stop the winds from blowing. This is kind of like the calm before the storm. All right? God controls nature. And God is going to use nature, among other things, as part of His judgment, which He's going to bring upon mankind. Verse 2, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. If you study seals in the scriptures... You will notice that they were used for a couple of reasons primarily. One was to show ownership, and the other was for protection. Remember when they sealed the tomb of Jesus? That was to protect anyone from opening it, all right? There's a protection element of sealing something. But uh, oftentimes, they would use it to denote or to show ownership, uh, in other words, if you were uh, on a journey and you were a merchant and you went and you purchased in Europe uh, 2,000 years ago, you went to Europe, purchased some goods, and you wanted to have them shipped by sea to the port of Israel, you would pay for them, and then they would take your goods that you paid for and they would you would seal them with your own seal, which meant you, you own those goods. You own that merchandise. It bore your seal, which meant it bore your name. So that when it was delivered to the port where you lived, you could go down and claim it because you had the seal. It matched the seal on the merchandise. Therefore, it showed that you owned that merchandise. And, of course, you could claim what belonged to you. This is the idea when God seals his servants In chapter 14, it talks about these servants have the seal of God in their foreheads, which is the name of their God. And God has sealed us as his people today with a seal of ownership. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In him, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed. With the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When we put our faith in Christ supernaturally, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, which was God's stamp of ownership, guaranteeing that our journey through this life into glory would, would result in us getting to heaven where God would claim us as his own. We belong to Him. He bought and paid for us with His own blood, the blood of His Son. And therefore, when we, when we received Christ, we were sealed with the mark of God. The firm foundation of the Lord stands having this seal, Paul said. The Lord knows those who belong to Him, right? In contrast to this, the mark of the beast is the Antichrist's way of sealing those who belong to Him. And we'll read about that in chapter 13. And this sealing here in chapter 7 in Revelation, though, is not just a sealing of ownership, a sealing of ownership, but also a seal that guarantees protection. Protection. How that God is going to seal these servants to protect them from the judgment that he is about to pour out on the earth. That's why he tells the angels, hold back the wind Okay, don't, you're supposed to harm the trees and the sea and the land, but don't do anything in the way of judgments yet until you seal my servants on their foreheads. Now, this is not new. God has done this in the past. You remember how that during the ten plagues of Egypt, how God sealed his people in the sense whereby the plagues were poured out on the Egyptians, but God's people were spared. Remember how at one point he brought the intense darkness a darkness for three days that was so palpable you could feel it, right? But in Goshen, where the people of God dwelt, it was sun was shining, you know? How when they p- applied the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their houses and the lentil, how that the angel of death passed through, but when they, the angel of death saw the, the seal on the door, basically the blood of the lamb, he passed over that house and did not bring judgment upon it. I look at this ceiling of the 144,000. Remember we talked about this uh, several lessons ago, where we said, you know, this is a worldwide judgment that God is bringing upon, what, the whole world, right? And it affects three groups. There is the unbelievers who are judged. You have the 144,000 Jews, which are sealed and protected through the tribulation. And then you have the church, which is basically out of here before the thing starts. And remember we said that this parallels the first worldwide judgment that we read about in the book of Genesis. Remember the flood of Noah? How that affected three groups of people. Yet, had, first of all, the unbelievers who were judged in the flood and perished. Noah and his family, who were Jewish and were preserved through the flood in the ark as they were sealed inside by God himself. And Enoch, who was raptured out before the judgment began. It's interesting how you see those three in the first worldwide judgment and it parallels the second worldwide judgment where we're going to see the world judge because of its unbelief and sin, God preserving 144,000 Jews through that time of judgment, but the church is out of here, is gone. And that leads me then to verse 4 where John says, And I heard the number of those who were sealed... 144,000 of all the tribes of the children
0: of Israel were sealed. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day.